I have some news. Now, I realize this is going to come as quite a shock for everybody. Uh, I hate to do it like this. I hate to inform everyone this way, but I'm going to go become a horse jockey. I'm retiring here at the first, and I'm going to go become a horse jockey. What's so funny? You don't think there can be six foot eight, 235 pound horse jockeys? It is ridiculous, isn't it? Just to think about that, of course, no, I'm not retiring, I'm not going anywhere, and I'm not going to be a horse jockey. You know why I'm not going to be a horse jockey? It's not just because I'm happy here at the first, it's because I'm not qualified. Not everyone is qualified to do everything. I'm too big. I can't be a horse jockey. Those guys weigh like 75 pounds. They're all like five feet tall. I'm never going to be a horse jockey, ever, because I'm not qualified for the job. Why do people take such offense when you talk about qualified and not qualified in this country? I don't understand it. Why are all of our politicians so old? And that's not me being anti-old people. And I don't really care if that's what you think anyway, but I love old people. There's nothing I enjoy more than sitting down, talking to somebody with a lifetime of wisdom, especially old vets. I really, really love talking to old vets. By the way, parents, quick side note here, sorry to get sidetracked. Take your kids down to the local VFW now and then. Sit down with one of them old timers and hear some stories. It's good for them, believe me. Language may be a little rough, but it's good for them. But setting that aside, old people were fine. You shouldn't be running the United States of America when you're a cadaver. Why are all the people who run this country so old? And you know what? On their level, speaking about it from their point of view, why do you want to be doing this when you're so old? Now, full disclosure, before I go into Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, we got a great show for you tonight. Before I go into this, I do understand that I approach all this stuff a little bit differently. And what do I mean by all this stuff? Well, you know... This isn't how I grew up. I didn't grow up doing media, TV, and radio stuff. I'm a construction guy and a Marine. I sold RVs. I washed dishes. I washed golf clubs. I washed cars. That's a lot of washing. I, I lived a normal life. So maybe that's the reason. But I don't understand the obsession with staying famous, if that's what you want to call it. And don't get me wrong. It's fun. I get, to, I, get, I get to talk on the radio. I get to talk on TV. I do this for a living. They pay me to do this. It's awesome. But... When I'm 81, you're not going to see me here. At some point in time, I'm going to say sayonara, and I'm going to go read books and watch old people documentaries just like I do now, and I'm going to hang out with my kids and maybe grandkids if I have any by then, and I'm just going to kind of go about my life. I'm going to eat as much red lobster as humanly possible before the good Lord takes me home. And I frankly don't understand aging rock stars. Why are the Rolling Stones doing tours at 80? My goodness, go home and take some Metamucil. Why is Nancy Pelosi running for Congress again? Hello, it's Nancy. Thank you for the opportunity to share some thoughts with you. This election is crucial. Nothing less is at stake than our democracy. But as we say, we don't agonize, we organize. And that is why I am running for re-election to Congress and respectfully seek your support. I would be greatly honored by it and grateful for it. Thank you so much. All right, keep in mind, Nancy Pelosi is not only 81 years old. That's older than Joe Biden. That's older than Donald Trump. Nancy Pelosi is 
filthy rich. She's worth tens of millions of dollars. Her husband's a big rich guy, just bought a brand new mansion in Florida. Okay, so she's old, she's 81. She's very, very rich. And I know you hate her, I hate her too, but she's the most successful female politician in the history of the United States of America. She is, it's not even, not even a question. No, no one else is even close to reaching that level of power and success. Okay, so you're Nancy Pelosi. You are farting dust. You're worth tens of millions of dollars. You've reached the pinnacle, of, especially for women in the, in the country. You're the Speaker of the House. Why are you running for Congress again? Go away. Go away and go do the little walking thing on the golf course with the visors on. I know what you want to do. Go away. What, what is this obsession with staying there? And everyone knows Democrats aren't going to win in the midterms. So she's not only staying, she's staying for a demotion. When people ask me what are the three most important issues facing the Congress, I always say the same thing. Our children, our children, our children. That is my why, why I am in Congress, for the children. This is my story, and this is my song. As you hear me say, when you're in the arena, you have to be able to take a punch or throw a punch for the children. Isn't it creepy how she says, for the children? And before we move on to Chucky, I do want to, full disclosure here, I said earlier I hated her, and that's probably not fair. Now, yes, she's detestable, and I know you hate her. I do find it amazing that the most unlikable human being on the face of the planet has risen to that position of power and stayed there for so long. She is a Disney movie villain. She is Corella DeVille come to life. It's for children. Gosh. Which brings us to the Senate and Chuck Schumer. Now, Chuck Schumer is 10 years younger than Nancy, but he's still 71 years old. He's 71 years old, and he walks around like this, like some horrible hunchback. He growls at everybody. He hasn't spent five seconds in the same place on an issue, which has been amazing to watch. The bottom line is very simple. The ideologues in the Senate want to turn what the Founding Fathers called the cooling saucer of democracy into the rubber stamp of dictatorship. We will not let them. They want, because they can't get their way on every judge, to change the rules in midstream, to wash away 200 years of history, they want to make this country into a banana republic where if you don't get your way, you change the rules. Are we going to let them? No! It'll be a doomsday for democracy if we do. That's funny. Chuck Schumer railing against the filibuster. He's taken a different tune recently, hasn't he? And we all know what the deal is. Let's just be honest. What's the deal with Chuck Schumer? Chuck Schumer is worried about AOC. Can you believe that? I'm not going to get sidetracked here, but keep in mind, AOC isn't going anywhere. AOC could easily be a United States senator before too long. AOC could be Speaker of the House. Chuck Schumer is a senator in the state of New York, and he's very worried about being primaried from the left. So now he's become a nut job, a nut job who can't seem to get Donald Trump's name out of his mouth. There will be a trial, and when that trial ends, senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John, Donald John Trump 
incited the erection insurrection against the United States. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not mature. I know. I don't, I, look, we shouldn't have thrown that in there, okay? I'm sorry. I lack maturity. All right, leave that alone, which brings us to 79-year-old Mitch McConnell. Now, full disclosure, McConnell has notched some wins for us, so I don't spend all day, every day, blasting Mitch McConnell. But Mitch McConnell, on so many gigantic, important, America-changing issues, seems to use the exact same language as the Democrats, like January 6th. We all know the game now. It's been over a year. We know what happened. We know what didn't happen, at least lots of it. Why does Mitch McConnell always sound like Nancy Pelosi when he's discussing January 6th? January 6th was a disgrace. American citizens attacked their own government. They used terrorism to try to stop a specific piece of domestic business they did not like. There's no question, none that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. That's ridiculous. We've all seen the video of what Trump said. I don't care if you hate Trump's guts. Nobody can point to anything Donald Trump said that was inciting a, a riot at the Capitol. Nobody can. So what's he talking about? Where does all this come from? Mitch McConnell looks more and more like something called the controlled opposition. He looks like the type who will, yeah, he'll fight for you on some things, or at least appear to fight for you on some things. But when it comes to really, really, really important issues, he's never going to actually do the other side wrong. We're going to talk about that and much, much more tonight. We're going to have a great show on I'm Right. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. All right, we'll be back. Our country could not be more could not be better served than with this most experienced, capable hands than yours, President Biden. He's just perfect. The timing couldn't be better. And Madam Vice President, we're inspired by your work for the people as you continue to be an invaluable partner to President Biden. I'm, I'm inspired too, Nancy. <laughs> Joining me now is my friend, John Phillips, of course, of the famous John Phillips show on KABC in Los Angeles. He's also a syndicated columnist. John, before we get into all the other wonderful parts of Nancy Pelosi, I feel like there was a stretch there, no pun intended. There was a stretch, especially right after Joe Biden's elected, where she really did sound hammer housed for about a year. I haven't noticed it as much lately. I know you're all up on all the gossip. Is there a problem there? <laughs> well, it is hard to be the face of a movement if your face has no movement. Uh, but Nancy, <laughs> what's that? Well, let's go ahead. Um, Nancy Pelosi is very good at certain things, and all of the things that she's good at happen behind closed doors. She's good at twisting arms. She's good at getting people to vote the way she wants them to vote. 
And everything that you see her do publicly is what she's not good at. She's not good on television. She's not good giving speeches. She has never been good. From the time that she first ran for Congress in San Francisco, she bombed at the debates in that Democratic primary. So this is something that is not new for her. Now at the age of 81, I'm sure it's not getting any better. But the reason that Nancy Pelosi is in the position that she's in is not because of how she looks on TV or how she performs on TV. John, please correct me if I'm wrong, but she's well known to be a prolific fundraiser. That's a huge part of getting ahead in the Democratic Party. Why? Because she does come off. I mean, I make this joke all the time, but it really is true. She's the real life Corella DeVille. She does come off as a Disney movie villain. How can that person sit in front of a room of wealthy people and say, hey, this is my vision, pay up, big checks. Those two don't seem to translate for me. Well, she is the sugar mama, and the Democrats in Congress are the sugar babies. And I'm sure you never thought you'd think of Jerry Nadler that way, but that's what it is. (laughs) And that's been a hallmark of her political career from the time that she initially got in Congress. It was an old boys club back then. And she was very ambitious at rising through the ranks. And the way that she would endear herself to other members, because she had a very safe district, she didn't have to spend a lot of money on her reelections. So she would raise money and spread it around. And she got to a point to where everyone owed her a favor. And so when she decided to challenge the existing power structure, because it wasn't her turn for leadership, she called in all of these chits and was able to cobble together the votes to win her elections within the caucus. Speaking of money, I did think this Q&A with Nancy Pelosi was pretty interesting about trading stocks. But that 49 members of Congress and 182 senior congressional staffers have violated the Stock Act, um, the insider trading law. I'm wondering if you have any reaction to that. And secondly, should members of Congress and their spouses be banned from trading individual stocks while serving in Congress? No, I don't know to the second one. Um, any, uh, we have a responsibility to report in the stock, uh, on the stock, but I don't, I'm not familiar with that five-month review, but if the people aren't reporting, they should be. Why do you think it's Because this is a free market and people, <clears throat> we are a free market economy, they should be able to participate in that. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes, Nancy Pelosi is a big free marketer, John. Oh, yeah. I remember it was years ago. She was sitting down for one of the Sunday shows and she announced that she was a capitalist. And in left wing circles, that was a real big shocker. Um, Nancy comes from a family that controlled the political machine in Baltimore. Her father, Thomas D'Alessandro, known as Tommy the Elder. Her brother was also a mayor of Baltimore, Tommy the Younger. Her mother was the one that ran the household and ran the campaigns. Big Nancy. And little Nancy, Nancy Pelosi, was the one that would keep a list of of favors that people owed the family. And so when they had to go cash in, she would be the one that kept the receipts. The money in her family doesn't come from from the D'Alessandro side. The money comes from her husband, Paul Pelosi. Her husband, Paul, is the one that brought her to Northern California. He's from a very wealthy family in California. He's in financial services. He has done very well. And as Nancy's career has exploded in Washington, D.C., he just keeps doing better and better and better. My guess is Nancy doesn't have anything to do with the day-to-day aspects of their portfolio. Paul is the one that manages all of their finances. Obviously, a lot has been made over the money 
Nancy Pelosi's worth, the money Nancy Pelosi's made in the stock market. Do we think there's something nefarious there, or is this just standard, he's good with money and she's good with twisted arms? You know, he is one of these political spouses that makes it a point to completely stay out of politics. So it's really hard to understand how this guy operates. Um, the one and only time he's really made news was when um, he was in this bizarre automobile accident with his brother, where his brother was a passenger and died in the accident. He was never charged criminally uh, with anything associated with that, but but that was really the one time he made waves and he made the papers. Um, I, I don't know how much pillow talk there is between the two of them, but whatever it is, I'm sure that that he is the one that's pulling the strings on the finances. And, you know, look, you're, you're living with someone who is who is the, the second most powerful person in the country. I'm sure you learn things, I'm sure you know things, and I'm sure that impacts the decisions that you make, but she's pretty slick. She's been around for a very long time, so I, I don't think she's sloppy enough to do something to get herself in real trouble. Election cheating. Boy, it seems like they've been talking about that a lot. Here was Nancy Pelosi talking about it. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a, a legislative continu continuation of what they did on January 6th, which is to undermine our democracy, to uh, undermine the integrity of our elections, uh, to uh, undermine the, uh, the, the voting power, which is the essence of a democracy. John, it seems like she is really setting the stage to claim the beating they're going to take in the midterms was cheating. Am I reading this wrong? Well, she's trying to save them because if she saves the Democratic majority, she saves her job as Speaker of the House. If they lose the majority, she's probably not going to stick around as minority leader. They'll move on in a different direction. How she's trying to save them is she wants the entire country to vote the way we vote in California. Uh, we were told that we had to do all vote by mail elections here because of COVID, but because the Democrats had very good fortunes at the ballot box when suddenly they could do things like harvest ballots and, and that sort of thing, she wants to take that national because that would give the Democrats every possible advantage they could. You don't have to you know, show up to a polling place with a picture ID. You just get something in the mail. Someone fills it out. It gets sent in and there you go. You're off to the races. That is her Hail Mary at saving the Democratic majority. I don't think she'll be successful at it, but that's what she's trying to do. John, ballot harvesting. Just give me, and everyone who isn't quite aware of what it is, give us a 30-second version. What's ballot harvesting? Well, it's when you have ballots that go out in the mail. You don't vote in person. You vote via absentee ballot. And you have places like, say, college campuses. Uh, where you have a lot of people living in dorms all in the same spot and they're flaky voters. Young people are the flakiest of all of the voters. And you have In-N-Out Burger and you have people showing up, oh, do you have your ballot? Did you fill it out? Why don't you come down here and have a hamburger? We'll take it and uh, turn it in to make sure that your ballot gets counted. And you can do that at churches, you can do that at, at college dorms, you can do that in Section 8 housing, you can do that in all sorts of places 
that might be advantageous for Democrats. And you can run up the score in places that typically don't come in heavily uh, in terms of turnout for Democratic candidates. That's one of the reasons that Katie Porter was able to win her congressional race. They did that at the University of California at Irvine. And it happened in other places in, in hotly contested districts. They won so many of those purple seats that both sides were contesting via ballot harvesting. Uh, the Republicans in many of those cases were way ahead on election night. And then when all the ballots got count, counted, suddenly they all lost. Uh, that is something that would allow, give Democrats a huge advantage you know, in other states if they were to do that. John Phillips, thank you so much, my brother. Thank you. Chuck Schumer, he's on the hot seat. Next. Now we take Georgia and then we change the world. Yeah! Now we take Georgia and then we change America. He's just the worst. Joining me now is Joe Pinion. He's running for Senate against Chuck Schumer in New York, and he can win. I love this guy, Joe. Chuck Schumer, He, what's wrong with Chuck Schumer? There's something wrong with this guy. Well, what's not wrong with what Chuck Schumer has done <laughs> to this country and what he has allowed others to do in our name to the state of New York? You know, I've taken to calling New York uh, the state of 19 million and shrinking because we lead the nation in outward migration. We've lost a million people over the last 10 years simply because we are a working class state filled with working class people, and yet not, not nearly enough working class opportunities to be found uh, due to these policies that think we can give everything to everybody for free while basically driving the middle class into a state of extinction. So uh, we decided to get into this race first and foremost uh, to make sure we could restore common sense to our politics and find common ground and common purpose to build an uncommon coalition to make sure that yes, a Republican can be victorious in New York come November. I'm glad you brought up the working class people because I'll be honest with you, as you know, I'm a big fan of New York, especially New York City. I love upstate. I, I just, I enjoy the place. And when I think about New York, one of the things that I think about is dock workers, union guys. Like, like that's, that's kind of what comes into mind. New York tough guys who work with their hands. And all I, all I get are emails now from these guys saying, I can't even afford to live here. I'm going to Jersey. I'm going to Connecticut. I'm moving to Florida. That's all I get now is from these guys who say, I can't, I can't afford food here. Well, I mean, it's really crazy. I mean, I now we've seen uh, so many people across this state, and the hard truth is that those who could afford to leave have left. Uh, those who cannot afford to leave are stuck begging for the scraps at a table that they made themselves that has been rendered bare uh, by policies that have had inflation running amok. And so we have seniors living on fixed incomes who just had the largest increase in the generation wiped out by this runaway inflation because of this ridiculous fiscal policies, right? We have uh, chicken tenders are basically non-existent in the freezer section at the grocery store uh, because of supply chain issues, because we don't make anything here, including the food that we put in our bellies. And so we have these career politicians that stay in power telling people that they bring home the bacon. And yet if the average American 
American cannot afford to put bacon on their own table, then what is the virtue of allowing uh, these corporate Democrats to remain in power year after year, cycle after cycle? And so our message to New Yorkers and to people all over America is clear, uh, that if you are unhappy with the world as it currently is, you cannot vote for the architect who designed it. Uh, Chuck Schumer's fingerprints are on everything that has gone wrong in society today, whether you are left of Bernie Trump, Bernie Sanders, or whether you are right of Donald Trump. And so we want to make sure that the people of New York know they have a chance to have a choice for the first time in 24 years. And we want to let the American people know that whether you live in New York or whether you rest your head in California, uh, what Chuck Schumer does in the name of New Yorkers down in D.C., it impacts all Americans. And so we need to have a collective effort from coast to coast uh, to make sure that our voices are heard and that his reign of terror comes to an end. Here's Chuck Schumer talking about Build Back Better. Senator Manchin earlier today said that Build Back Better is, in his words, dead. Uh, is he right about that? Look, there are ongoing, we're fighting hard for Build Back Better. There are lots of provisions in that bill that are very important, many of which Senator Manchin supports, such as, say, drug pricing. Um, and so we are continuing to work on it, and there are conversations going on between Senator Manchin and different senators right now. Okay, honestly, Joe, I really mean this. The guy's been in the Senate for 9,000 years. He's currently working on a bill that is dead as disco. Joe Manchin flat out said the thing is dead. How has he stayed there for so long? How did this guy even get there? It's not his winning personality. Well, I mean, to be clear, again, he was able to stay there uh, by paying his way through the front door. Um, again, cycle after cycle, he raises more money than he needs to stay in power and then buys friends and influence with the excess cash in order to empower himself. Uh, so again, yes, he has become the most powerful senator in D.C., uh, but what do the 19 million working class people of New York State have to show for themselves? I would submit to you very little. He talks about the provisions in Build Back Better that Joe Manchin supports and that many Americans might support. And yet somehow the person who is in charge of the negotiations has not decided to lead with legislation that would prioritize the things that most Americans want to see happen. Case in point, something like justice reform. We had Tim Scott... Uh, in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd, pro provide a justice act uh, that the senator basically turned his nose up at, called it weak tea, and refused to even have the debate in the floors of Congress. So on some basic level, he is uh, the Jim Crow that he tells us to be afraid of. He is in many ways uh, that person standing in the doorwell of the Senate preventing us from getting the justice reform that 90% of Americans want to see happen, all while he says that it's Republicans standing in the way. And in the aftermath of all this, because of the three most dangerous words ever uttered in the history of modern politics, defund the police. We saw shootings go up 90% in New York City, homicide up 30%. 12 U.S. cities hit all-time highs for homicide, and 2021 was the deadliest year to wear a badge in the history of recording the statistic. That is not a coincidence, folks. That's what happens when people who know better allow children to hijack a conversation and utter phrases that get people killed. Do you think the public right now, obviously I know places like New York City, they're ravaged, as you just pointed out, by violent crime. Do you think the public has made the connection between that violent crime and Chuck Schumer as they should? 
Well, I think more and more people are waking up to that reality. We already had uh, the two police officers that were killed here uh, in Harlem uh, coming into this new year with this new mayor. Uh, we saw the two officers that were gunned down in Virginia. So again, law enforcement is under attack. That is not a uh, that, that's not a slogan. Uh, it is a reality. And if you don't believe me, talk to the wives that stay up at night praying that their husband makes it home after their shift. The husbands who are worried about their his wife uh, who's on the shift. So the, uh, the blue coalition is under siege because of politicians that use them as pinatas. And as a result, the American family, your common American, is more at risk today than they were when Joseph Robinette Biden placed his hand on a Bible. And so again, what is the virtue of having career politicians with institutional knowledge and institutional memory if they do not use that institutional memory to prevent history from repeating? Uh, we are seeing a return to the lawlessness. We are return seeing a return to the shootings and the homicides and the killing. And again, more than what you vote for as senator, it's all also about what you permit, the attitude that you exude. And when you exude this attitude that says that we will have more concern for the criminal than for the law-abiding citizen, you see what we've seen from coast to coast, people living in fear, police officers being buried, and families having to bury those children all across this country. More children killed by stray bullets than by variants of COVID. That is America today. Those are the priorities that we take uh, to this fight to make sure that we can retire Chuck Schumer once and for all. Joe, keep doing what you're doing, man. Go get him. I appreciate you. We got Don Jr. coming up next. As you can imagine, he has some things to say about Mitch McConnell. Hang on for this one. Joining me now, someone who probably doesn't need an introduction, Donald Trump Jr. He's the executive vice president of development and acquisitions for the Trump organizations or Trump, Trump organization. Uh, tell me something. What does your business card say? When you get super famous, I always wanted one that just had my name and nothing else on it. And I would just hand that to people. Yeah, like a big F-U. That's it. Like no number, yes. no, like you gotta, if you don't know, yes. you're not worthy of knowing, right? Does you, I, we, we could have some fun with this. I actually I was with a friend the other day and he had to be his business card and the other side just had the F off, like fully printed out, like in large <laughs> font on that. And I was like, you know what? Like that's like the most baller business card ever. So I kind of liked it. <laughs> I'm doing one of those super thick, too, just to rub it in everyone's face. I'm doing one of those. All right. All right I want to stay focused here. Mitch McConnell, obviously, uh, I'm not a huge fan. I can imagine you're not. Here's a little video of Mitch McConnell. What we saw here on January the 6th was an effort to prevent the peaceful transfer of power from one administration to another, which had never happened before in our country. My view is I would not be in favor of shortening any of the sentences for any of the people who pleaded guilty to crimes. Don, why does he sound just like the Democrats so much of the time? Because that's what the establishment is, Jesse. You know, they, they've figured out a place where there's no consequence for being wrong, for being weak, for not standing up to your people. They can do that. It's about maintaining their own power. He's not good at anything other than maintaining his own power. The reason he carries clout in the Senate isn't because 
he's really good at any of those things. It's because he controls the purse strings. You know, hundreds of millions of dollars that will be doled out to other Senate candidates. So he continues to support the establishment against guys that could actually fight for their constituency. I mean, that's the dumbest thing in the world to say. Now, I'm not condoning actual violence or actually looting, but, you know, when Nana, grandma's in there between the velvet ropes taking <laughs> selfies of January 6th, totally has no idea that she's not even supposed to be in that room. Those are the people that he's condemning uh, as part of that idiocy. And it's, it's just insane. Uh, it's actually disgusting. I wish Mitch was, like, 10% as tough on the looting, rioting, arson, murder that took place for 18 months all across America under the BLM riots as he was on your grandmother who may have taken a selfie somewhere within a 1,000 miles of Washington, D.C. Maybe then uh, I'd be impressed, but otherwise... Uh, it's just a it's a pathetic display. And now, you're, you know, you're obviously torn uh, as a conservative. I still want to you know, control the Senate. I just want to control the Senate without a clown like that in charge, because with leaders like that, like you said, you might as well have Democrats. I'm glad you brought up the BLM riots, because that actually leads me right into it. Why the silence on those? It's not as if that's an issue that's difficult to figure out where the American people fall. I mean, most of America, I would guess 70, 80 percent looked at that anarchy and thought, this is outrageous. I, I don't like this. I don't support this. This is terrible. And yet the GOP, especially guys like McConnell, really struggled to take a firm stance on it. They still don't. Why? It's the biggest political gimme in the world. You're, I mean, it's like it's like they're pitching T-ball to us, Jesse, and uh, it's I, I don't get it. I, I really don't. I mean, like, the, and it's across the board, especially in the Senate. In the, in the House, at least, you have a couple guys that are loud enough. There's a couple guys in the Senate that have called it out, but like for the most part, I mean, it's the silence is almost baffling. And it, again, uh, billions of dollars worth of actual damage. Uh, you know, stores brought down, actual people of color murdered in the streets. I, I was told that that should be a big deal. Uh, courthouses, uh, you know, taken over. I'm told that that's an insurrection uh, or certainly the start of it. And it's there going on for months and they're just like, oh, well, nothing to see here. And I guess it's because if you could show that kind of uh, disrule going on in the country, I imagine they could weaponize it against Donald Trump, who many in this establishment also did not want because he was a challenge to their little power thing. It's why we're now talking about amassing troops on the border of the Ukraine to oh. fight a land war with Russia over a non-NATO country uh, because we're talking about expanding NATO closer to Russia's border. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, Jesse. I mean, I know it's been a long time since we've been in a war. I mean, three months is an eternity for these crowds. <laughs> you know, and getting the military-industrial complex working, because again, that's where they will all cycle to. They will all get board seats. They will all make millions by keeping our kids at war. Now, Hunter Biden can make millions off of it, but anyone else's kids are gonna go fight, bleed, and die on a battlefield where we have nothing to do with anything. There's no actual benefit to us, uh, and it's just disgusting, but this is what's gone on in Washington. This is why there was always a concerted attack on Donald Trump, because he was a threat to that. The other people that have been in there, they all, it's all the same thing, great sound bites, wonderful, zero action. That's why they weaponized both parties against my father so vehemently. Tried to make it impossible for him to effectuate change. You know, four years of Russia, Russia hoax. Uh, I got to live through that myself and deal with it. And, you know, I, for better or worse, I don't know if it's, it's probably bad, but I got a little bit of the Trump fighting gene, which is I'm just not going to take these things lying down and I'm going to call it out for what it is. 
Got in an argument with a buddy, well, not an argument, a discussion with a friend of mine the other night. We were actually talking about your dad, and we were trying to figure out, obviously they hated a lot about him, which part they hated the most. Was it the China <laughs> policy, because China lines a lot of pockets in this country? Was it the border policy? There are a lot of people that want that border open. Or was it the war thing? Was it your father's right non-interventionist policy? What of those three did they hate the most? Because there's something that really grinded their gears about him. Well, I think it's that he pushed all of them. And I mean, look at what's changed. I mean, in one year, you can't fathom this kind of uh, return to insanity. I mean, we're, we're back talking about wars. We're being, I mean, there's an invasion at the southern border like we've never seen before. Millions of people coming over at unpre and of course they are. Uh, you're, all, you're promising them free stuff because as long as someone is dependent on government, that's job security for these clowns, right? They don't have to be the best at anything in Washington, D.C., Jesse. We've seen that. Look at the like. Look at the Maxine Waters of the world. You know they're on finance committees making trillion dollar decisions. But if you actually listen to what comes out of their mouth, you realize like they have no idea about finance. They're on the committee because they've been there longer, not because they know anything. It's like AOC. You give her a soundbite, and once you remove the chief of staff that sort of rigged the whole thing to get her in there in the first place, you're like, wow, like this is truly one of the dumber people to ever set foot in government, and that's impressive. Uh, but it doesn't matter because she's got clout and a social media following. You know, you, watching the media be like, this is wonderful. Look at what AOC is doing. And then they like read a little bit further like, hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know where we're going with this. And like, it's lunacy, but it happens on a daily basis. And that's the problem. They've created and made an environment that's so difficult from anyone who's not part of that system to ever get into government or let alone to want to, because why would you give up a life like Donald Trump? In all fairness, he had pretty good. He could do whatever the heck he wanted. Uh, but he had been watching this stuff for a long time. He'd seen both sides. As a real estate developer from New York City, uh, you know, he'd certainly seen uh, the left, and he was just frankly fed up of it. I mean, he was been talking about China for 30 years. He's been very consistent on it. They don't want that because it lines their pockets. Look at the NBA, professional sports, big tech. I mean. It's like they work for China. Uh, and at this point, we all do. Uh, they've done that. And because a couple of guys get really rich, they're the people that make the rules. Their donors fund the people who are then implementing the other policy. You can't say anything about China. I mean, again, no one has a problem uh, you know, calling out Donald Trump for some mean tweets. But, but no one's going to say a single thing about literally a genocide going on with Uyghur Muslims. I was told that minority communities are to be protected at all costs. We, we should do everything, except for China. Uh, you, you heard what's-his-face, um, I guess from what, Sacramento Kings, the owner of that the, the other day, talking about, yeah, it's below my bar. It's a, you, know, you know, This is literally someone who came to America, uh, it, it escaped uh, you know, another similar genocidal regime, who has no sympathy for this going on because it's money because it's money in his pocket and that's what's going on and, and perhaps what's good about what's going on maybe you needed a donald trump to create a joe biden but to also wake up the american people to exactly what's going on some people they got it with america first in 2016 i don't think anyone including myself realized just how bad it is realized that so many of the things that people talk it's just garbage it's nonsense uh, and, it really is. You know, maybe we needed that to wake up because you know the view of what I thought of government and all that stuff. Bullshit, Jesse. Like these people are the biggest clowns in the world. They're not working in our best interest in many cases. And again, I, I can say that 
in a bipartisan fashion. Uh, you know, one of the only things that perhaps is bipartisan uh, in this country right now is that our politicians are screwing us. They're saddling our children with problems that they won't be able to get out from under. We're kowtowing to dictatorial regimes. And again, the rest of the world is watching. You don't have to look further than, you know, again, Russia amassing troops on the Ukrainian border, China flying sorties over Taiwan, because they saw the disaster in Afghanistan. More information's coming about, you know, about how just unprepared they were. But our generals, and you served, you could understand this, our generals are like, we couldn't have seen this coming. I had, I had no idea. <laughs> Let's just assume I know nothing about Afghanistan, Jesse. Nothing, zero. Never set foot there. I could have seen this coming. My nine-year-old was like, God, what the hell's going on here? Like, didn't they see this coming? Anyone who's actually served saw this coming. But our generals could not have seen this coming. Our Secretary of State was shocked and dismayed, and I believe that was in quotes, that the Taliban new government implemented in Afghanistan was not more diverse and inclusive. <laughs> Jesse, these people are freaking morons. Like, you, uh, you can't make it up. You can't make Don, it up. Thank you so much for what you do, my brother. Come back soon. We'll do that, man. Thanks. Coming up next, we got final thoughts. Our politicians are not all supposed to be 80, 90 years old. And you can whine to me all day long. That sounds like you're, you're, you're discriminating. Yes, I discriminate because I care about my country. You discriminate when it comes to things you care about. It's the things you don't care about. That's when you're like, oh, everyone should just get in. Everyone should participate. No, no. We have the leaders of the most powerful nation of the world in the world and they can't complete basic sentences. Their dentures are falling out. It's a disaster. They've been in Washington way, way, way too long. Way too many conflicts of interest there. I don't know the perfect way a country's supposed to be run. Yeah, I'm not God, I, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, it's not supposed to be this way. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, it shouldn't be this way. Let us hope in the next four, five, six years, we can do something significant about this, no? All right, we'll do it again.